It's episode 110 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Dave Robertson. Stuart, thank you so much to do that 110. That's uh, six in binary, so um, that could be quite an interesting magic number. I don't know. Just thought about that one as you were saying it. <laughs> Uh, well, let's hope it is very much a magical number. Um, thank you for coming around to my house. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure to be here in uh, Mansion Moses. It's Mansion very Moses. beautiful. Love the fountain and the uh, topiary. <laughs> yes. Improv London Towers, as I like to call it. Uh, very much not in London, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, well, we can go frolic in the fountain uh, afterwards, if you like. Um, <laughs> it's an invitation I give to everyone that comes well, on the indeed. podcast. Um, so tell me about the Free Radicals. What's that? Who are they? Okay, so the Free Radicals are um, an improv troupe based in Reading. So we came into being in March of last year, or well, technically a little earlier. Um, but we have, uh, we've been sharing digs with the British Science Association's Reading branch, uh, a, a restaurant in town called Smoking Billy's. And the proprietor, Bill Dunn, uh, is a huge supporter of these kinds of uh, events you know community events and he introduced me to the the local uh, team of the BSA and uh, they were looking for some ideas for the annual British Science Week which takes place in March every year and as a, as a, a technical person myself I have a background in, in software development and uh, having done improv in the States uh, surrounded by technical people I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to introduce a bit of comedy into science? And it hadn't really got anything in mind, but we kicked a few ideas around the, uh, the guys who were uh, also doing improv with me at, the, um, at Seamus Allen's uh, What's the Game classes. And we devised a format, part short form, part long form, where uh, we'd start with a bit of short form and then invite a science communicator to get up and talk about their subject for 15 minutes and we would then use that as the as the seed for a long form second half so uh, we thought about doing it as a one-off it went down incredibly well with our first speaker um, uh, dr tom seismer from reading who's a soil scientist wow and um, we uh, we just had a great time and and the bsa loved it the audience loved it and Bill said, why don't you guys think about doing this on a regular basis? So we're now over 18 months into doing it. And we're now, uh, apart from August and December, we're now planning to do one a month in Reading. And uh, we have guest speakers coming along every month. We've had neuroscientists. We had a, a, a telecoms expert doing SMS. We had a, um, a quantum gravity uh, expert. Wow. You name the subject, provided we can get our hooks into it in some way, we can make a show out of it. And we have been having a blast doing it. So, um, so that's it. So we're kind of a... Um, we could do this with any expert, but we've kind of honed in on the STEM subjects because Reading is a pretty strong hub uh, for uh, STEM, science, technology, engineering, maths... Um, experts being you know the home to so many uh, you know startup companies uh, big subsidiaries and also the university here it's it's been a, it's been a rich seam for us to mine it's been a lot of fun 
Cool. So, yeah, how... So, you, the British Science Association, what mm-hmm. do they do? How did you get involved with them? Well, so they, um, as I said, they, they used the, uh, the Bill- Smoking Billy's restaurant for a monthly event called Café Scientifique. And it's a, a 15 to 30 minute presentation by an expert. And then they invite members of the audience along to, to listen to the subject. And the BSA, their, their whole job, uh, their whole raison d'etre is promote the public understanding of science and the way that they do that is through coaching and helping scientists to get their message across and um, there's a few sort of uh, uh, spin-out organizations or maybe not spin-out but sort of related organizations so it's quite there's quite a scene uh, in the science communication world and if you look for SCICOM hashtag SCICOMM on Twitter for example you'll find thousands and thousands of, of science communicators all linking together and they'll do it through um, these sort of pop-up presentations they they do stand-up comedy science there's wow. even a, a a challenge that takes place somewhere in the UK every year where they have a you know stand-up comedy science program um, they do a, a pint of science which is basically they'll take a, a science communicator to a pub and uh, and do a talk about bees or uh, you know, um, hydroelectricity, whatever it might be, and um, you know, so they're and they're all, they're generally pretty game, provided we don't mangle the science and we make that incredibly clear. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that part is the real stuff. This is completely made up, uh, or is it? <laughs> we will then have fun with it, and they they are, they're very much supportive of that, and, and in part because a lot of the scientists that we talk to, um, they if they're academics, they're looking for evidence that they are reaching out to the public and they that, that helps with grant applications for mm. example and we um, will often uh, we make it a rule that we'll record every show video it and we post the the shows up on our website and um, people can then look at those share those and at least it's evidence that the talk took place and that there was engagement because that helps them that helps their their resumes and and their and their conversations uh, and sometimes we're dealing with scientists who are actually working in uh, in, in in industry. Uh, sometimes it's very early stage; they can't talk too much about the the research they're doing. But it's again, it's almost like a showreel for the technology that they're working on, and they can mm-hmm. then use that and show that they've they've got a, a message going on out out there. So uh, it's a fun little device, this yeah. bringing improv to uh, to these to this to this subject matter. Um, and we'd love to do more of it. At the moment, we're just in Reading, but you know we're very keen to try and take this elsewhere. That's obviously the long form part, and we have a a few games that we've developed. Um, they are sort of like games you may have seen in other short form contexts, um, but we we give we either give them a, a name that's sort of linked into the science side of things, or, or we've actually invented a couple that um, that um, are very science oriented. So you may be familiar with the alphabet game. So you, you speak alternate lines starting with uh, the next letter of the alphabet. We have one which we call periodic table. So we've got, <laughs> a, uh, we've got a periodic table in a, in a ring binder and we ask for a, in a, a number between 1 and 118 and that's where we start. So if you're starting with oxygen, you know, the, the first word of the line begins with O and then the next 
element. Uh, I, uh, this is where I show my ignorance. I, uh, I have no idea what the next element is, but if it's lead, it's PB, so your first two words must begin with PB. <laughs> and we have a lot of fun with that. And another game that we, we really enjoy, it's actually a relatively new one for us, but uh, it's, it's an absolute favourite already. Um, it's, it's based on the game, uh, a game called Telephone, where effectively you have, uh, we call it peer review, and we ask for a, a famous uh, or iconic scene from science. Um, we had one suggestion, which was the Wright Brothers' uh, first man-powered uh, flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the crew line up against uh, the, wall, the front wall, facing the wall, so they can't see what's happening behind them. The uh, first player is tapped out and is, you know, w- we whisper into their ear what they have to then communicate, and through the through the benefit of mime and then a, an appropriate soundtrack that uh, our uh, amazing tech guy uh, John is uh, is working out, um, we uh, we get the first guy to mime for the second, and the second then mimes for the third, and by the end of it, we usually have some kind of bizarre interpretive dance uh, <laughs> that degenerates into complete farce, and and then we ask. In reverse order, the the guys to try and work out what it was they were being told. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's it's just a lot of fun. The audience love it. I mean, the audience is an interesting mix because Reading is uh, it's not uh, definitely you know, hasn't got the kind of cultural footprint that London has. Uh, it has a very uh, healthy comedy scene, but um, improv uh, is very small. Um, it really did begin with uh, with Seamus Allen sort of setting up the um, the local uh, scene uh, at Billy's, and uh, it's kind of grown uh, to a, a core of about thirty people. Um, and from that thirty, we've got uh, four very good uh, troops, all with their own separate brand and separate identity. Mm. Um, so pulling in an audience, you know, having this. You know the STEM audience in Reading uh, as a you know having something that appeals to them has been really a real benefit because we're now getting folks in to sort of see us make fun of of STEM, uh, and then people who um, want to hear about and, and learn about improv, and um, you know we, all of our shows are promotions for the public understanding of science, but also to really get people interested in improv because you know my background is I'm not an actor. Uh, I've had a career in the IT industry and I've only been in improv for, for just under five years. So I had a career developing software. Uh, I was a pre-sales guy for a software company and latterly I, I ran international operations for a software development tools company. And so I dropped into improv completely at the end of this career and have learned how valuable it is for you know, STEM types to uh, to help lose that uh, that fear of getting up and, and talking and consequently helping them to be more effective at getting their message um, across not just the the science or the tech that they're trying to communicate but often their own needs and uh, helping them become more confident in the workplace and you know out there in their lives which is it's been great to see and. I um, had a chat with a uh, somebody that I uh, so a bit more background is I uh, as part of my career I've spent um, I had two stints of three years living in California. Um, the first time I was out in um, Menlo Park and Palo Alto, and the second time I was out in Oakland, and it was the second phase. 
where after a particularly embarrassing uh, technical hitch in front of the whole company, I, I, I mumbled my way through a very important presentation and thought I need to be able to be a bit more adaptable in front of, um, in front of my, uh, my audiences. And also I felt I was a little um, wooden in front mm. of an audience. I didn't really you know, excite an audience. I knew what I had to say, but it wasn't very exciting. So my uh, colleague Ed, who was an absolute, um, uh, you know, he, he hoovers up comedy clubs and improv clubs in LA and San Francisco all the time. He, he told me about this, um, this show that was being uh, run in um, San Francisco as part of Sketchfest called uh, Prompter. Um, I didn't go to the show, but the, the idea of it was enough to, got, to get me looking at improv. And this, this show was essentially a TED talk where you were uh, given a subject you'd never heard of before out of a hat, mm. and you were given the first line of, the, of your talk, and then you had to carry on for as long as possible before being booed off the stage. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's very much like, you know, just a minute. Yeah. You know, what an amazing... Uh, set of skills that would that would have that would be to have. So I, I went uh, looking for an improv uh, theatre, and there was one on my doorstep um, in downtown Oakland uh, called Pan Theatre, and uh, I joined them. And I went along, very importantly, with the uh, the uh, commitment that I would do whatever was asked of me. Yeah, that was very important because I think if I had gone with a sort of a you know well you know. It proved to me that you're going to be useful. It might not have worked. And we did these silly games, and I had an absolute blast and just carried on. And uh, through, you know, a, a number of, um, you know, exercises, uh, I started, I mean, I was doing, I was going there three times a week for practice, and I was in shows, and I couldn't believe what was happening to me. It was quite amazing. And about a year or so after, um, another a new a new person joined. Um, what they had, they had this sort of level one dojo. It was like an introduction um, to improv. And there was a guy there who was a, a server de developer for for the Oracle database. Real deep, deep technical guy. Mm. Again, a guy called Krishna. A lot of fun, but uh, hadn't been used to communicating. And he went along. It was, I didn't realize this until many months later. He he said that what I was what I told him made such an impact that it made it made him come back for more. And I said to him, you know, everyone talks about improv being you know yes and yes and yes and and you know if you've ever seen that film The Yes Man with Jim Carrey, you know some people think that's what improv is. You right. just say yes to everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I said you know it, it wasn't that for me. What it was is it made it less likely that I would say no. So it reduced my, the, you know, I would put the defensive no up all the time whenever I was asked for things. And I realised after a while that I was, no wasn't a comfortable thing for me as my first response. Uh, and I realised my brain's being rewired. I'm becoming a different person here. Mm. And I, I just told him this story And after, after his first session. Anyway, he kept coming back. And months later he said, if you hadn't said that to me, I probably wouldn't have come back. But yeah, I stuck yeah. at it. And uh, it's really made a big difference. And that, that little interaction with Krishna is kind of behind my, my sort of love of improv. And I'm sort of a bit of an evangelist for using it to help people you know, just kind of rewire themselves and, and, and help them become, you know, get out of their own way, I think, mm. you know. And I, I wrote down a, a note before I came here because one of the 
questions I, uh, I was thinking that you might ask is, you know, is, you know, what is it about improv? And for me, it's, I, I'd like to call it as, you know, fearlessness for geeks, really. I think that's how I would, you know, that's what I would describe as improv as. So um, anyway, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So what sort of, um, what sort of things were you doing at the Pan Theatre? Um, well, we began with, so they used to do this Monday night called The Dojo, and um, it was a, uh, essentially a, a taster for um, anyone to go along. But one thing I, I didn't realise at the time, but some of the most experienced improvisers in their, in their community were, were there as well. And it's essentially modelled on the classic martial arts dojos where you've got the, the novices there at the same time as the, as the black belts. They're all going through their, their set pieces, their routines. And um, it's also a way, I think, uh, of giving back as, a, as an experienced person. Yeah. Is giving back to the, the new people and maybe just keeping them on the right track. Because I, I think back to some of my early performances... Uh, and I remember one scene, uh, I was a bit star starstruck because uh, a couple of the top uh, performers were um, I was playing with for the first time in this show. And um, we were doing a, a show based on the road trip format. Right. And, um, what's the, what's so, so road trip is where you have usually one or two protagonists and a suggestion from the audience about you know where... Where they start, where they're going, and what their what their um, the mission is, right. and the protagonists move through the scenes, and all the other players uh, play supporting uh -huh. uh, parts. Yeah. And in this particular scene, they were in Vegas uh, at an S and M buffet, yeah. and uh, I, as a inexperienced and slightly nervous improviser, uh, went straight for the you know the the, the lowest common denominator. And uh, was deftly uh, cut. The the edit then happened as uh, by one of the most experienced. It, it left uh, the audience laughing because they could imagine what yeah, where yeah, this yeah. was going. Yeah. But it stopped it from degenerating into into something that was fundamentally me being nervous and trying to get a cheap laugh. Right. And that's something which only as time has gone on have I seen the. You know that that is you know, nerves really make you go to the you know the, the you know the sex jokes the you know the scatological, scatological <laughs> or you know yeah. religion or whatever it might be, um, and it takes a certain degree of skill and mindfulness to to kind of help steer them around. So the dojo is a fantastic way of uh, of getting people um, you know to to coach the new people, but also to um, encourage them to come back. You know mm -hmm. that was a, in, the important part because you know they wanted more more people taking their classes, um, and we did a, a essentially an eight week uh, one hundred and one and culminating in a short form show at the end of the uh, end of the, the season. That was my first ever comedy performance, mm -hmm. and you know it's, even though I was one of twelve, I thought everyone was there to see me. <laughs> you know, as, um, but it was, that was a great experience. And then after that, I, I signed up for the the long form. And that was that was things things got really interesting there because yeah. uh, I started to, to get real understanding of the importance of character. Almost crap, the character becomes more important than the, the comedy, and in mm. fact, the comedy gets better because the characters are more believable and more yeah. invested. And um, you know, we were doing a bit of Meisner. Um, we were doing some, um, I think, elements of really what all of the improvised uh, improv teachers had learned from different places. So we had a lot of Chicago trained. 
uh, an LA trained improvisers there. Um, and since I've been in, back in the UK, so I moved back in 2015, um, I've been uh, really dealing with a slightly different, you know, probably more of the Keith Johnston style, um, you know, where it's a bit more, um, I suppose, around the sort of uh, theatre style improv rather than the, I guess, what would you call Chicago improv? More, I, I, it's, it's, I'm not sure how I dis- distinguish between the two, really. So I always think of Keith Johnston as being more theatrical storytelling mm. and, you know, UCB, those sort of things as more sketch. So they're yeah. improvising, but they're improvising comedy sketches mm-hmm. as opposed to Keith Johnston where we're improvising, but we're improvising theatre or stories. That's the way on which I... Yeah, so it's, so it's sketches, so it's scenarios versus characters, I suppose, in a certain, to an extent, I guess. It's, it's hard all to say. It's, it's, a, it's all the same thing, yeah. really, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons I, th- I like to listen to your podcast because you you get so many different perspectives. You know, the 110 uh, interviews you've done, maybe more actually, um, uh, but the um, the different perspectives are all so different. And yeah. you know, I said to you uh, beforehand about the I had, I had a takeaway from one of your podcasts. You couldn't even remember it had actually been said, <laughs> uh, but I think that's the the value is that you you know you're hearing other people's. Um, uh, approaches and there'll be one or two things they say that you can just hold yeah. uh, and keep with you, you know. And I, I find that you know, I, 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 I play piano, I get piano lessons, and I, I also have play golf and get golf lessons. And so, I out of the thousands of words that come my way, there might only be a dozen every time um, that I'll grab and think that is what I needed. Yeah, you know. So I think that's that's really important. And it's the same with the improv. You know, I, I love to perform because there's. At any given time, uh, there's a learning opportunity might come, and you can just take it and 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 and, uh, and use it again. Uh, or you want to emulate something that somebody else did that you really admired. Yes, you know, which I love about this 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 whole scene. It's uh, there's some you know such originality out there. Yes, yes, mm. and there's always always things to learn, and sometimes, um, yeah, you learn different things at different times. And if you're reading an improv book. And, you know, you're not the same person each time you read it and you might take different mm. lessons from it and things like that. Yeah. So, anyway, but thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not at all. No, it's, it's, but it's, you know, it's because uh, I do find it's a great way of finding out what's on as well in the mm. scene because you know, it's, cause it's you know, you're, you're branching out obviously from London a bit now and there's, uh, you know, le- to learn what's happening and who's doing what where is, is a really good you know, way of, of, of finding things out. Yeah, I, I really wanted that to be something... Also, because I enjoy finding out myself. But yeah, the more we can connect people and people can find out what other people are doing, mm. it's only going to make things stronger and make the scene wherever we are better. So yeah, yeah. indeed. So as, as I've said, the kind of end, my evangelical nature about getting the word out. Um, you know, I'm not just a technical person. I was a manager as well. I managed distributed teams, and uh, you know, as I look back, I using improv in a work context I think would be a, a really good way of uh, of getting of getting you know people more engaged um, this I've heard apocryphally of some really fun improv exercises to do um, like the slideshow that you don't know what the slides going to be you don't know what the topic's going to be and the, you get the executive team to do it in front of the company yeah that kind of thing and uh, one of our uh, crew, the, the Free Radicals crew, Alex um, um, William, he actually has a um, a improv for business um, 
company he set up wow. to do just that. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been doing it with, with a few companies now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see more companies do it with their technical crews. Mm. Not just because, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, having managed developers before, you know, developers are artists. They're not, they're not you know, these people you keep in a room, you know, give them specs to, to develop to. They have ideas, they want to be heard. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be done with, with, the, with that community of showing them, you know, developers how to be more expressive and more... And more confident, so um, I'd love to see more of that happening in the workplace as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, I found that improv has uh, helped me um, just be more open to ideas, and you know, if someone suggests something, and I'm like, well, yes, let's let's try it. Let's a powerful thing to say is let's trial it. Yeah. People are happy to trial things. They're not happy to commit to doing something forever. But if you say, well, let's trial it, mm-hmm. then they're happy to do that. And that's one way of saying yes that I found particularly helpful at work. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's, um, I don't know if you've seen on Facebook, there's uh, the Applied Impro- Improvisation Network. Yes. Uh, and there's some great uses of, uh, of improv out there. And um, I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, I, I'm not necessarily looking to have any kind of, you know, professional career on the stage but I would really enjoy the opportunity to take improv into a into a into an environment mm. for serious use mm. um, and one um, I read an article a couple of months ago actually uh, you may have seen it uh, from New York magazine where they're, they're talking about uh, Tim Robbins actors gang um, which is a Hollywood sort of elite mm. you know th- uh, sort of um, invitation only theater school um, one of the members uh, took improv into into high security prisons in wow. California, and uh, I've got a link I can give you if you if you yeah. wanted to post with this. But the uh, recidivism rate for um, the inmates is fifty percent typically. The, those that went on this improv class, it went down to ten percent. Wow! Because they were just learning to. You know these skills that we talked about earlier. The they're using it to kind of shift their perspective and also become a bit more, I suppose, put themselves in in the position of the people that they have been typically against. Mm. You know, be they you know the man or the system or the gangs that they and, and the the building of empathy and just listening skills has been incredibly powerful. It's shifted them out of that rut they were in. Mm. Uh, some really good stories and 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 another good friend of mine who's um who's performed uh, with the radicals, Sonia Bishop. Um, she she splits her time between uh, Pan uh, Pan Theatre in Berkeley and uh, Oakland and and the UK where she's a uh, she's an associate professor of psychology at Berkeley and she's a fellow of St John's College Oxford. Wow. Um, and she co-developed a a taster module with uh, Adrian Vasquez, who is one of our improv teachers at Pan, mm. on the psychology of improv. Actually, oh, wow. you know, because there are clear measurable benefits on uh, on the on the brain of of, of doing improv uh, skills, and she's got to develop that and teach that mm. um, in front of students. And brilliant! Oh, I'd, love, I'd love to. I'd love to be on that course. Yeah, that sounds yeah, great. Those. Yeah, cool. Um, so, talking about science, mm. you mentioned uh, not mangling the science. So, mm. I'm thinking about uh, we're at a free radical show. You've had somebody they talk about their subject what for 10, 15 minutes or yeah, for 10, 15 longer minutes. if if the audience is engaged, we'll yeah. let them run with it. Right, and that has happened a few times. All right, cool. 
Um, so how do you how do you pull from what they've said, mindful of the fact that they're going to be talking about science? You need to get the science right. Yeah. What's your kind of process there? Uh, I think we 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 do. So the sh- we call our shows Schrodinger's Hat. And the reason being is that the uh, we love you know, a pun. There's a pun coming here. Is that uh, you know Schrödinger would sometimes communicate through his hat. So sometimes you it was you didn't know whether it was truth or fiction in the in the uh, same way as his cat being alive or dead. So we kind of have a bit of an artistic license that you know okay you've heard the real sciencey stuff. We're going to have some fun with it. And um, it, on any given show night, uh, half the half the troop aren't scientists. Right. The other half might know enough uh, from watching science fiction to, to be dangerous. <laughs> and it's, it's rare that any of us are su- subject matter experts on what we've just heard. Yeah, yeah. What we try and do is, and we always ask the speaker to give some kind of practical application or impact on the in the real world of the of of their subject. So when we had the quantum gravity uh, com- talk, you know, how on earth does that relate to real life? Um, but we got some great examples, and we we used that to um, to develop. In this, in that case, it was a kind of a, uh, a inter- interdimensional love story, um, and I can't remember the exact details. Um, and when we did the, um, uh, uh, we had one on um, uh, Internet of Things recently, and that ended up all uh, the story revolved around a, a boy that was able to communicate with internet connected devices in the same way that C three PO talks to R two D two. And uh, he was able to essentially bring all of the devices around to help improve the town and, um, you know, get rid of the rat problem and the litter problem in the mm-hmm. town. You know, it's all this kind of stuff. And that was all based on ideas that come from the talk. So, you know, um, it's important that we don't we don't rubbish the, the speaker. We don't rubbish the science. We, we pay homage to it. Mm. We have we, we have fun with it. Uh, and occasionally these, they just have laugh out loud, you know, more often than not, I would hasten to <laughs> laugh out loud, uh, clever, how we uh, managed to connect these dots together. Um, and you can tell we always, we always have fun with it. And the audience, you know, we, we have a, re- just, despite the venue being a little uncomfortable on a hot or a cold night, um, we get a lot of re- return visitors. Yeah. It's, uh, it was some, some fans come along um, just to see what we get up to. And these are actual real people who aren't improvisers. Mm. Wow. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and this is, this is the thing, you know, because Seamus and, and Alex and I and, and John, uh, um, John McBride, who, who runs Ninja Duck, which is a, a new um, uh, spin out from the um, Seamus's What's the Game class. Um, we, we've, we spend a lot of time making sure that we don't cannibalize each other's audiences because you know this is one of the things we had at pan um is that often there'd be more people on stage than there were in the audience i've been in that situation yeah. more often than not exactly <laughs> and and the and the improvisers uh, are often performing to other improvisers um we don't have the luxury in reading because i mentioned it's a fairly small scene but there's usually you know a hardcore of our of the of the people that come to improv are in the audience most weeks but um by by ensuring that we are twist changing up the things that we do we're bringing in different people and the goal is get them coming back mm. to our shows but also get them going to the other shows and 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 the holy grail which has happened a few times get some of the audiences into the classes yes um because you know 
It's amazing to me how many people sit and I say that. Okay, uh, I've, I've, having said that, I'm immediately now... Um, go on, say it. I've say got it. to say it. So I, I was about to say, it's amazing to me how many people sit in a show and go, oh my God, I could never do that. And here's me about to just... Uh, next Friday, um, on the 31st, there's Ninja Duck is, uh, is doing an open mic stand-up show. Um, it will be my second stand-up set the first one I ever did was in April because um, John came up to me and said, we're doing a, um, a free open mic stand-up comedy show. You're funny. We'd like you to do a set. <laughs> and because I said earlier on that my instinct to say no is no longer there, I ended up saying yes. Excellent. And then I, I, I actually had some ideas that I'd written down and over the years, often had come out of improv uh, shows, thought that would be really funny to do something with that and I'd written them down so I was able to get a five minute set out of it and um and, I, and I've got another one for this Friday um but I think oh you know and that this is something I, I kid you not Stuart this is something uh, stand, being a stand-up is something I wanted to do from the, as, as early as I can remember and it took me until I was 50 years old yeah. to do it for the first time wow. um, and it was only because I was asked and it was only because I'd done improv for the previous few years. Yeah. If you'd asked me any time before I'd started doing improv, I'd have said no. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's just yeah, as an illustration. So, um, yeah. Um, so uh, it's kind of nice to be able to say to people, um, you know, you can do this. This is not complicated. Um, the, uh, go back to this fearlessness for geeks again. Um, the thing that I, I absolutely loved about the pan experience was the... The fact that we would every time someone messed up, we would celebrate yeah. it. You know, you've been in those classes before yeah. where someone mangles a word or uh, fluffs the you know one word at a time, and everyone goes yay, yeah. and they mix up the circle and you start again, <laughs> and that teaches you that it's okay. But on top of that, it's when you're in a scene and someone mangles a name, and that becomes that person's name. You know, yeah. Seamus often says, you know. The uh, the per the person to say it defines it, and if you've just called somebody you know, you know, um, Stewpot instead of Stuart, then that is your name for the rest of the show, <laughs> and um, you know even when you can't remember the names, and someone who was previously called Bill is now called Ted, you know, the number of times that someone will go well actually yes I'm I'm Ted on weekends, you know, just to kind of make the rea justify that reality, it's. Uh, and those skills are so important to overcome that fear, you know, the fear of failing and, in fact, celebrating failing because, as we all know in improv, some of the funniest scenes come from those, those cock-ups. Yes, exactly. It's so yes. much fun. Yes, um, they are. Mistakes are <laughs> gifts, as I am. Indeed. We are often told. Uh, so when you're, um, when you're performing stand-up what's your stand-up style I know you've only done one I've only done one um so I I like to link story I like to link things together so I I had three different jokes effectively I wanted to tell and I found a way to link them together and um and I and I realized that that is something that I tend to do um I've always done it it's you know I'll often be told two bits of information and I will find some bizarre way to shoehorn a link between them. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I, uh, my, my subject on Friday, without giving anything away, is is the importance of being clearly understood, right. um, which happens to link three separate, effectively funny stories. Uh, and I've managed to find a way to do that. 
Um, but it reminds me of a, of a, of a story. I, uh, this happened to me. I was in a, an executive team meeting and uh, my CEO was talking about a recent trip he'd made to Morocco where they were taken by some dodgy guide out into the desert where they, they were shown a um, stopped for some uh, peddler on the street or on the, or on the dirt track. Who, the only things he was selling were blue jeans and paracetamol. And I just said, oh, they must have been tight jeans. And because that was the only connection I could make between those two objects. Why would someone be selling just those two items together? <laughs> you know, just as by way of an example. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, and I'll, I'll often do that in scenes as well, you know. But it's not, it's not unique to me. I see other improvisers yeah. do the same. You know, it's a great, you know, those callbacks can sometimes be a lot of fun yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in scenes. Cool. Well... Uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, make sure we plug <laughs> Friday's show, um, and just just going back to the free radicals. When you're uh, doing the long form set, mm. is it is it narrative? Is it non narrative? Are you telling a story inspired by the talk, or are you doing scenes and then they sort of come together? Or we've tried a, we've tried a couple of forms. Um, the the very first thing we did. It was essentially a montage mm. and um, so a montage of scenes but for me as effectively the director I didn't feel very satisfied with that I wanted a I wanted a narrative uh, and that for me was one of the most powerful parts of the forms we used to do uh, a pan which were uh, often based around Harold's or um, the French braid or village you know those sorts of formats where you are calling back uh, or overlaying things that happened earlier. Um, I wanted a nice, neat ending. So we did experiment with a couple of forms, and um, the, uh, the the style does change. We we do we do morph it from time to time. Mm. At the moment, we're doing sort of like an Armando, really, which mm. is a, a bit. Uh, you know, we use the speaker as our uh, as our kind of seed, the monologist, if you like. Uh, we then do a bit of a run at the start, just to kind of throw out some ideas. Uh, to that we can stick with, and then we quickly try to whittle those down to two powerful threads, which uh, we then try to connect at the end. Mm. That, that's kind of it's a very simple form. Um, we want to do some more experimenting. Um, part of the problem is um, we have you know as with with the summer being here, and um, with as I say, we've got these four different troops now that have spun out of that original idea we're finding it quite hard to get everyone together to um to practice mm. you know that's the thing we're struggling with now is, is is quality practice time um so people still gather every wednesday evening uh, for Seamus's class that's essentially the core um and trying to get people to commit to more than uh, that one night a week uh, is is not easy um, as you, you know, as I've heard so many of your mm. of your interviewees say, mm. um, but the, you know, uh, but the other thing as well, I, I we're kind of lucky because there are we've lost a few of our improvisers to the London scene. In fact, we've got one one of our guys, Patrick, who's actually in the process of moving closer to London in order to really? improve his, uh, his and and Sam Sam Morris, who you, I know you may have met Sam, mm. but she's uh, she went on to do stuff at the nursery. She's just finishing a. Um, the nursery original Carmen. Oh yeah, um, yeah she's yeah, in yeah. that at the, at the Fringe. Um, so we've lost a few of uh, uh, of folks to London, but um, we are quite lucky because most of the people who are doing the improv in Reading 
you know, they're, they're working full-time, they're living full-time around here. It's very hard for them to go to London on a regular basis. So we can kind of you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, look, please come and play with us, mm. you know. Uh, and, the, you know, we're always greedily watching the new the newbies at the classes to try <laughs> to, you know, get them along to the to, to our, our troop practices. And even if they don't perform with us, you know, we want to try things out. We want to experiment and... Um, you know, we've lost a bit of momentum over the summer. We'll have to get back into that again soon. But if there's any improvisers in the area listening who want to kind of come and get involved, then we'd love to have you. Cool. Um, you know, because any, you know, it's all these ideas, throwing new styles and, um, you know, just, just new new capabilities. Because every, every improviser has a has an arsenal of capabilities to bring to the scenes. Uh, would be great. And um, we've got one guy... Um, who's a really good guitarist and he's great at improvising guitar and I see if I could snaffle him for a show mm. and I mentioned my piano lessons I'm 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 struggling manfully to uh, to 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 get to a point where I can risk improvising <laughs> a lot, you know in a show but I'm not I'm still away from that yet yeah yeah, yeah. But, you know that we're doing what we can yeah that sounds great it is always the uh, struggle to get people into the rehearsal room and to commit to that mm. and I think getting people with the same level of commitment is actually much more important than getting the people with the same ability or something like that. It's just yeah. if everyone can commit, you know, the same amount, then that's kind of the secret of a successful group. Yes, absolutely. You know, and it's, um, there isn't, you know, we have, we've had a few creative differences, but um, I think one of the things that's been quite helpful, um, you know, as having run com- uh, company and running teams, you know, there's time. There's time for consensus, and there's, then then you need to kind of get yeah. a grip. And uh, we try to be consensus driven, but it's it kind of doesn't always work. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, and I'll often step back and you know out of the show. I'll be in the booth at the back, you know, waving, you know, frantically on you know time and yeah. steering things and uh, trying to be a bit more hands on. But so that's the other thing, um, you know, uh, talking about the differences between the states and uh, and here. Um, it may just be more about you know the the, the, the sort of um, goading style, which I know that um, so Seamus mentioned his time with Ken Campbell, and 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 there's a there's a big diaspora of of the people that all trained with Ken, he was much more of a goading or style. And I see that with the Keith Johnson as well. There, mm. There's more, you know, the audience goes or the other actors goad. Um, so it's much more kind of interrupt driven than, mm. um, than what I was doing in the States, which was much more, you know, free form, you know, you followed a structure and there wasn't really, once you got up there and got going, there wasn't really any interference from an outside director. There might be the odd, Lights down to to scene and it, to to signify an edit, but that was pretty much it. So mm. you know we play around with both of those styles as we need to. And um, but I I want my guys to be able to be to self edit to self determine because ultimately you know we all get a chance to play. We rotate MC duties. All right, yeah. You know um, I'll, I'm the default unless someone steps up and says they'd like to do it or they've got an idea. Mm. Um, and um, you know we try to put a lesson plan into every one of our practices now um, we didn't initially and it kind of got a bit chaotic but um, so you know I, I, I try to read um, you know improv um, books and listen to you know some of the ideas that your interview, interviews have had and uh, apply those because there's some great 
tips to, to bring in that really help focus the practice. Mm. And Caitlin, who's um, one of our, um, our regular players, um, she's from um, New York, New Jersey, and she's done a lot of stand-up and improv in the States, and she brings a lot of ideas as well. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a really good uh, mix of perspectives that we have. And mm. we, we don't, none of us, well, I personally am not experienced enough to, to, to claim that I can do it all, and I, I, I really would like those guys to, to bring more in of these ideas, because um, this is, for me, this is a journey, it's a learning opportunity all the time. Yeah. So you're um, coaching from within the group. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have. Um, we you know we we've managed to build a little bit of a war chest um, from because we do we sell tickets. You know they're they're not that much, but we we, we do enough to uh, to cover costs because we have to rent the room for practice and run the website, and we've got a bit of a war chest. So um, one of the things I want to do is um, is is go um, head up into London a bit more. Um, I'll say a bit more. I, um, I've, I've actually, uh, despite the fact this is an improv London podcast, um, since I've been back in the UK doing improv, I actually haven't done any improv in London. Oh, really? It's all been done in the in this area through you know, through the people that are in uh, you know come and go. We've had a few visits from um, folks in London. So if we, um, last year, I think we had. Uh, um, uh, I can't remember his last name, but Remy, you probably know Remy. Oh, but Remy Bertrand. Yeah, Remy Bertrand. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. came down, um, and some of his guys came along as well, because I think Seamus and Remy know each other. Right. And yes. uh, uh, so we've had a, a few people, um, you know, sort of drop in and bring their perspectives in. Um, but it would be good to, um, you know, find a couple of, uh, of guest coaches to come in and go, yeah, we like what they're doing. Let's Let's bring that in. And um, so, you know, I expect to be up in, in London soon. Cool. Yeah, I can recommend it. It's flesh. very good. <laughs> but yes, indeed. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, reading books and things like that. Mm. Um, uh, is there a particular favourite book, improv book, that you would recommend? The only one I... Well, there's two I've read cover to cover. Uh, Impro by Keith Johnson. But the, the one that's really had the biggest impact on me was the... Um, uh, uh, John Wright's um, Why Is That Funny? I don't know if you've read yes. that. Yes. Oh, I tell you what. <laughs> I've got a bit of a story about that. So, um, yes, I have read that. And um, I had um, a really terrible train journey um, that I just, I think, the, the first train that I was trying to get was cancelled. And I think I had an hour-long wait at the first train journey station and I was travelling on a Sunday and it just took a very long time and I was reading the later chapters of Why Is That Funny where he's talking about all the different types of clowning mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. kind of like you know the um, how do I describe it the sort of the negative feelings that a lot of these different types of clowning had and I was like this is not what I need right now <laughs> but I've got nothing else to entertain me so it was a fabulous book but it was just mm. like it was a bleak day and it was bleaker subject matter than I thought it was going to be considering the book's called why is that funny well it, what's interesting about that is um I I did a couple of workshops with um, a, a, a improv teacher called Jimmy Corain in the states. Yeah, yeah. He he, uh, he does this thing called the art of slow comedy, and um, what was really interesting about that is it was ultimately all about r- real believable characters, and it wasn't about the the funny. And I found it was a bit kind of counterintuitive and. It was only really when I got my head round, you know, the the importance of having that believability that that then made the the payoff when something 
funny happened so much greater yeah. and so I understand you know then reading John's book especially when he's going in about the buffoon yeah. and the grotesques um, uh, that you can see you know it, and we all see it you know when somebody has someone has the meltdown in you know in public um, you know he talks a lot about the you know the boss clown that you know is shouting and screaming at everybody and ultimately you know always always comes a cropper you know yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can see why there's the seeds of comedy in there, but you've got to go through that pain in order yes. to make the payoff much better. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry about that, with your train journey. No, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was awful. It was sort of amazing. And even as I was going through it, I thought, well, you know, this is quite an experience. Mm. Uh, you know, when I get to speak to Dave on episode 110, <laughs> I'll be able to bring this story up. So uh, it's all paid off. Well, exactly. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> Uh, so if someone uh, was to step on stage with you, mm-hmm. what could they do to delight you? What could they do to delight me? Um, wow. So that's that's a really... Uh, I like that question. So invariably, it's things I'm bad at myself, which is listening and uh, and uh, not going on with their own ideas. But oh, really? You know, I, I, I tend to... I have a, I have a habit of... I'll stand on the sidelines and go, oh, 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 I know what's going to make a big difference here. So I try very hard to let that grow if uh, if it doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, we've got some fantastic um, talent in our, in our, in our troupe. Um, and I just, it just, I look forward to going to uh, practices every time. I know these guys are going to be there. And I'm thinking of John and, and Alex and Jay uh, and Chris in particular, who, uh, they just have they just such fantastic kind of left field ways of doing things, and um, you know Jay is he's Canadian, um, he lives over here. He's uh, you know he's got a fantastic kind of separate you know kind of slightly off uh, off kilter cultural references that, that come in really interesting, uh, come in very handy. He does great ac- uh, accents and characters, um, and then there's you know John does his. Um, real deadpan stuff and when he and I get on together it usually goes somewhere dark very quickly so uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and Chris you know he's actually um, uh, he's been with us uh, for about a year but he's uh, he's, he's, he's a quiet chorist you know he's a, he's a really good singer and oh, right. uh, but you know and he, but he's a real co- you know, comedy buff as well so yeah. you know he brings a lot of really big kind of you know almost full Staffian type presence <laughs> to the stage, real kind of, you know, imagine a kind of, I hate me when he hears this, but <laughs> I sort of, I, I imagine, imagine the personality of someone like a kind of, uh, Brian Blessed meets Lord Flashheart uh, in a kind of very subdued, but nonetheless larger than life kind of presence. He's, he's good fun to have on stage as well. Uh, and um, Alex, I mentioned, is very experienced. We 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 you know we do so well, and and Weiju as well. Who Weiju is uh, from Malaysia. He's a uh, he, again. He brings a different perspective to things, and and uh, uh, it's just good fun. You know, we, we so but, but I I kind of just get I'm lucky in that the, these guys delight me on on a regular basis, and um, you know, but they're they're also very strong willed. So you know, if they've got an idea, um, and I want my idea, invariably. Um, there's only one win, only one of us wins, and we go with it. And they surprise me all the time. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's a lot of fun. It sounds like really the worst improv you could imagine. Really, <laughs> what I'm just describing, but we're experienced enough to to go on. And if the idea, if someone gets their idea in first, we we drop what we're yeah. doing. You yeah, know, it's yeah. very rare now that you know someone tries to shoehorn in. 
uh, what they um, what they want to do. So um, it's a lot of yeah. I'd say that's really what delights me is that readiness to adapt. Um, you know that readiness to just roll with it, whatever whatever happens. And uh, I've 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 sprung things on these guys and so many times, and they've just been consummately professional with it and just go with it. it it's good fun. Cool, cool. And I suppose the flip side to that question is, what's your signature move? What did everyone go? Ah, oh, classic Dave, save the day again with his signature move. Um, well, the one thing I suppose because I'm sort of sometimes player director. Um, I'm I'm often I've got a mind to on bringing the moving the story to a conclusion. Nice. So what I'll, I'll often do um, is forego the obvious um, funny in order to remind the people of the character or the plot. So kind of I kind of feel like the you know the Cub Scout leader who's like turned round and all the cubs have run off into the you know <laughs> into the woods and doing their own thing and I'm like oh, guys you know so I kind of have that sort of thing which can make me uh, I feel like I'm being a bit boring but invariably they'll say yeah, I'm glad you did that because we're kind of we're having we kind of went off off on one a bit there so that would be I suppose my my th- my move in that regard yeah and I think you need somebody or some people in the group to um, have a kind of a grounding effect because otherwise people are just flying off in all directions and I'm like, oh, uh, mm. what's going on? Uh, whereas at least if you've got somebody kind of, you know, with a grip on what's going on, it just makes it a little bit more easy to comprehend. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to the, you know, when I was saying that before, the, the kind of US versus um, UK experiences, you know, the goda is obviously in control in many respects. They're an external goda slash director, um and the uh if if everyone on stage is, resp- is sort of has group responsibility you it's it's usually the form that is in control rather than the in any one individual um so we had very strong forms when we were doing stuff at pan because you'd follow it and you you knew all of you knew you had to reach that point and i think that's part of the issue we have with the lack of practice and the lack of a, a, of, a of a really kind of st- you know, uh, strong form sometimes is that without that you need somebody that knows to step out of, of character and think about where it's all going. So yeah, it can yeah, be yeah. quite. I heard a story once about Danny DeVito when he uh, he was the he was an actor in and director of the War of the Roses film. You yes, may remember. I have seen that. And remember uh, Michael Douglas t- saying there was a scene in a. Um, uh, around a, a dinner table um, where, you know, the famous scene, if you've seen the film, where the plate is spinning just under the camera as it's flying towards Michael Douglas's head. And all the way through this scene, uh, Danny DeVito's sitting with a, tea, with a camera um, in between his legs under the table. So he's basically just looking down under the table all the way through the scene so he can see if the, f- the shot's framed properly. And it sometimes fe- feels a bit like that. You know, you kind of, you're in the action, but you're also kind of, outside looking in and it, it's a weird mode to be in sometimes but, yeah. Uh, yeah I hope it's not too obvious I'm doing that no but I think it's a really having the ability to be in the action but also to step back and observe the action I think is a really powerful thing so uh, mm. I would like to be able to do that more mm. okay I'm not sure I've got tips for you on that <laughs> <laughs> oh. okay so um, big big final question mm. you've sort of alluded to it a little bit but What's next? What are you working on now? What do you want from the future? Well, I think the so, person, you know, from a personal point of view, I, I'd love to see 
Um, more places around the, the country have a, have their own improv scene. Um, one thing I, I, I noticed coming back, uh, improv is huge here, but as with so many things about the UK, it's very London-centric. Um, obviously, we've got Bristol, but you know, you can't tell me that between Bristol and London there isn't some you know, an opportunity for something else to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, I, I would love to to do more to um, to in some way, you know, help the, the, the improv get out there into the community a bit more through any which way or form. I mean, that's a big ask for just me. There are many more well-positioned people out there that could do that, um, but. Um, you know, I think from a from a free radicals point of view, um, we'd definitely like to do you know play you know guest guest appearances in a few other places just to build up our network. Um, you know, do more outside of Reading. Um, you know, we've got a few. Um, you know, the, the BSA is uh, British Arts Association. They have chapters all around the UK, so um, it'd be great to sort of do a few more things there. Um, we also. Um, got um, in- introduced to two other organizations inside of this area um, one is a, a is, is a, a maybe quite well known to some of your um, listeners the Sunday assembly and this is something that was co-founded by Pippa Evans um, and we got um, uh, one of our guest speakers a few uh, months ago Sophie Paul um, is actually a, um, a one of the organizers of the Reading Sunday assembly and she's asked us to do a uh, an improv-themed uh, uh, Sunday assembly in January, which we'll be doing at the Brilliant. Irish Centre. I think it's the third Sunday of uh, January, and that's an opportunity to introduce uh, improv to a, uh, you know an agnostic audience. Um, and also, um, there's the um, a fairly strong. Uh, they call themselves the Reading Geeks. Um, there's a Reading Geek community, which is essentially folks involved in STEM uh, careers or hobbies who meet. Um, uh, periodically, uh, the walkabout in in Reading talk about all things to do with uh, with you know with with STEM and and beer. And um, <laughs> um, I got asked along to kind of just put the word out about the radicals because you know there are our potential audience, there are potential improvisers in in waiting. They are also the people whom we would love to draw potential speakers from. Brilliant. Um, and uh, had some great conversations there. You know, there's, there's one guy who runs a DevCon develop a conference for one of the areas he's in. He said he'd love to have us along to do some improv, you know, improv workshop uh, at his conference. You know, that kind of thing is just, yeah. you know, bread and butter for us. So um, as long, you know, the more we get to play, I mean, we're, we're fun when we're playing, you know, you know what it's like being an improviser. You know, the more you get, especially when you're asked to do it, you're, yeah. not, you're not just springing it on somebody. That's <laughs> <laughs> so fabulous being asked to do this, for, you know, and people actually pay attention. So you know that's really my goal is to do as much as much as I can to help mo- get this movement moving because I think I do feel it's a great gateway into um, you know to so many you know new things for uh, for people. Fantastic! Thank you, <laughs> thank, thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> Yay! I made this. That's improv. <laughs> <laughs>